You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Well, it's Sunday fun day on 98.7 ESPN. Presented by Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier takes cocktails from ordinary to unforgettable, adding a layer of sophistication to some of the world's most well-loved cocktails. Pat O'Keefe with you till noon, and then we turn things over to Larry Hardesty here on 98.7. Uh, baseball coming up. The Mets are at City Field. Rubber match of their three-game series with the Mariners. A 140 first pitch. Tyler McGill, who's been better since coming back up. 7-7, seven and seven, 5.29 ERA. George Kirby, local product out of Rye, New York, who was an all-star this season. He's 10-8, and eight, a 3.28 earned run average for the Mariners. And that game will be at City Field with a 140 first pitch. And speaking of City Field, let's get to our weekend weather presented by Grand Marnier. 72 degrees and sunny skies right now. Today, a high of 87, a low of 67. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous weather for this Labor Day Sunday. That's weekend weather brought to you by Grand Marnier. It takes cocktails from ordinary to unforgettable. And then the Yankees, you can hear them right here on ESPN New York tonight, Yankees-Astros. It's the Sunday night ESPN game, 7 o'clock start. Our coverage begins here at 6 p.m. Michael King, who's turned into a an interesting and serviceable opener-slash-starting pitcher, takes the ball for the Yankees, 3-5, and 2.96 ERA. Christian Javier for the Astros, 9-2 and two with a 4.66. The Yankees have now won back-to-back series for the first time since June, and they are looking for a three-game sweep of the Astros uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Jose in Brooklyn. Hey, Jose, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Shout out to the company. Definitely wanted to, you know, get this, you know, Nick talk that's all of a sudden started, like, with the with, with all the football mania that's going on. So, um, but um, who, who would have thought the Yankees won back-to-back series since, since, since June? How, wow. Isn't that crazy, Pat? The last time they won back-to-back series, part of that was the Oakland series when Domingo Herman pitched the perfect game. How long ago does that feel? Oh, man. And that was when I really thought that they were going to make a turnaround, you know, with all the momentum. (laughs) Well, that was their chance. If you go back late in the first half of the season, they had that series in Oakland, and then they had that Mm -hmm. series in St. Louis, and then they had the Cubs at home, and they lost to St. Louis series, and they lost two out of three to the Cubs, and they did not take advantage of a soft spot in their schedule. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that that was that was pretty much when I said that was when I said, um, yeah, this team is an all time bad team. So, but to the Knicks, um, and I'm glad that we you know got that we're entertaining this conversation because I, I I know that you're on the side of if there is an improvement to be made, like you know we 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 have to entertain it, and I'm also on that side. It's just more of like you know what Omar said, you know with. You know, even though I'm not a big fan of Julius Randle, Julius Randle plays about 75 games. You know, R.J. Barrett plays about 75 games. Jalen Brunson plays about almost all, all his games. So it's just like whenever we're, we're, we're entertaining even trades, we have to realize that a lot of our guys are guys that play, you know, a lot of games and they play within the grind of Tom Thibodeau. And I also feel that, you know, 
The Knicks are still at an advantageous position. And, you know, with all the picks of how the new NBA is with the new NBA draft, you know, second-round picks didn't even make the team uh, in a lot of cases. You know, now we have now, – now you have second-round second, second round picks that actually can – possibly turn into an MVP, even though that's a one in a million shot, but we've seen it happen. So it's like, you know, we have, you know, if we, we, it looks like we have a good foundation. We've picked some of the right players, even though I know um, people can pick out certain players like Nilakita over Mitchell or, you know, topping over Halliburton, et cetera, et cetera. But, in most cases, I, I trust where this Nick franchise has done with picking quickly Grimes, R.J. Barrett, you know, Mitchell Robinson, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm more of, hey, let, 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 let's see how things play out because I'd rather be more like Toronto where they lost in the playoffs, you know, like almost five, six straight years, but still were able to make that trade for the superstar and win the title rather than trying to trade something now and then be frustrated when it doesn't work out. Well, and I think, Jose, and thanks for the call, that Leon Rose has shown that he is not going to jump the gun. He's been very patient. Some Knicks fans would say that he's probably been too patient and they would like to see a little bit more sense of urgency. But you don't, with all of this capital that the Knicks have accumulated, draft picks and... They've drafted well. Like I said, um, for the most part, this organization has drafted very well, this regime of Leon Rose. Uh, and, and they've put together a very solid roster. But if you're going to cash in, you really only have one shot at it. So if you're going to pool all of your resources together, a combination of young players, whether it's Quickly, whether it's Robinson, whether it's Quinton Grimes, a combination of that with however many draft picks to bring in a superstar, you've got to get it right. You've got to hit on it. And, you know, the thought was this time last year. Remember, this time last year, and this is when everything's going to start to ramp up in the NBA. Once Labor Day is over, we're about three and a half weeks away from the start of NBA training camps. Uh, this is these last couple of weeks, really the month of August is the really one slow month in the NBA during the year, you know, executives and coaches, they, this is when they take their vacations. People are scouting um, the world cup right now. And then everything starts to ramp up right after, right after labor day. So during that, we could very well hear news on Damian Lillard, but talks are going to start to intensify with Miami and any other teams that want to enter the Damian Lillard sweepstakes. We don't know what's going to happen with James Harden, but things are going to ramp up there. Harden's going to start to put some pressure on the 76ers because he does not want to go to training camp. But this time last year, Donovan Mitchell was still a member of the Utah Jazz. And after Labor Day, the Knicks were... It was a long negotiation. It started in July, and then they took a break in August, and they picked it back up in September. And the prevailing thought was that he would ultimately land on the Knicks. It was just a matter of, well, who's going to blink first? And who's going to come up with the, you know, at what what package is Utah going to accept for Donovan Mitchell? And then, of course, Cleveland came in with a better offer, and next thing you know, he was with the Cavaliers. But the Knicks still have all of those assets. But you you can't you can't mess it up. You know, if you trade for Joel Embiid and he breaks down, and now you have a broken down Joel Embiid, and 
you know, let's just for argument's sake say you have no R.J. Barrett, no Emmanuel quickly, and you've given up three first-round picks, then where does that leave you? That sets your franchise back. That really kind of undoes a lot of the progress that you have made. Now, how did the Knicks get to this point where they are just really waiting for that next superstar to fall? Well, it was from the time that Leon Rose took over in March of 2020, right before the pandemic hit, and then the subsequent hiring of Tom Thibodeau that first offseason. Over the last three years, the biggest reason why the Knicks have gotten to where they are is superior coaching. It's the biggest reason why. I mean, think back to the coaches that the Knicks have had leading up to Tom Thibodeau. You know, from David Fisdale to Jeff Hornacek to Kurt Rambis to Derek Fisher and on and on and on. You know, Tom Thibodeau came in. He turned Julius Randle's career around. Um... He developed Emmanuel quickly. He was unable to develop Obi Toppin. That was more a result of there was nowhere for Toppin to go. Mitchell Robinson's career has taken off since Tom Thibodeau took over. R.J. Barrett has turned into a 20-point-per-game scorer. He's in the process of developing Quentin Grimes. It's been superior coaching, and it's also been very good fortune. The Knicks got Jalen Brunson because his father was an assistant coach on Thibodeau's staff. And he had a prior relationship with Leon Rose. That was very, very fortunate. And they were able to get him on a contract that, remember when the Knicks signed into that contract? Four years and $104 million. And people were screaming that it was an overpay for a backup point guard. Well, by that point, he wasn't a backup point guard. But people were screaming that it was an overpay for a guy who had had really one good season in the NBA. How does that contract look right now? But the way that they got Brunson... And the amount of money they were able to sign him for, that was good fortune. But it's not like they were completely lucky. You know, people always say, well, Leon Rose was brought in to get the big star. Where's the big star? He's this big agent with all of these connections in the league. How come he hasn't been able to bring in a big star? Leon Rose was the connection, in addition to Rick Brunson, to Jalen Brunson. So that's the big star. You just didn't know he was a big star when you got here. So Thibodeau made them a competent franchise, helping to turn around Julius Randle's career, and he was the main driver of this the first couple of years under Tibbs. And then the other part of it was being able to bring in Jalen Brunson, and he took this team to a another level. Um, and then in addition to that, it has been very smart drafting and signings. Emmanuel Quickly, 25th overall. Um, Quinton Grimes, 25th overall. Signing Isaiah Hartenstein as a free agent. He was a really, really good piece last year as the backup center. Deuce McBride, early second round pick. Dogged defender coming off the bench. You know, there's been some misses too. Evan Fournier is still on this team, making $18 million a year and not happy at all about it. There have been some misses. There are always misses. Nobody shoots 100% as a general manager with the decisions that they make. But that is how the Knicks went from, in 2020, being one of seven NBA teams not invited to the bubble when the season resumed that July to, last year, one of the final eight teams remaining in the NBA playoffs with designs on being even better than that this year. Bringing in the right head coach, getting Jalen Brunson, and then drafting well and filling in your roster 
around the margins, okay? That is not easy to do, to go from a 17-win team in 2019 to where the Knicks are right now. That is not easy to do. The Knicks had tried it for years and were unable to do it. Remember when they bottomed out in 2015 and they won 17 games in Derek Fisher's first season? And Phil Jackson broke everything down. They tried to win the lottery that year with Carl Anthony Towns and didn't. They ended up picking fourth. They ended up picking Chris Stapps Porzingis. And then the goal then was to go from 17 wins to a competent playoff team in the Eastern Conference, and they were never able to get there because it's not that easy. You don't just snap your fingers, pick at the top of the draft, bottom out, and then turn your franchise around. You have to have the right people in charge. Phil Jackson, Jeff Hornacek, Derek Fisher, those were not the right people in charge. Neither was Steve Mills. Scott Perry, I think, came in and added a semblance of competence to the front office. He's no longer part of the equation anymore. But Leon Rose was the biggest difference. Coming in, choosing the right head coach. Tibbs wanted to be the head coach for years in New York. And Knicks fans wanted Tibbs for years in New York. That's why I laugh. You know, last year when they lose game six to Miami, and the season is over on that Friday night in May, and I was on the air taking calls for about an hour and a half after the game, wall-to-wall Knicks calls, a decent amount of those calls were, okay, it's time to move on from Tom Thibodeau. What? It's time to move on from Tom Thibodeau? Then who are you bringing in? Tom Thibodeau is the number one reason why the Knicks got to this position. Now, has he proven that he can win a championship as a head coach? No, and I've made this comparison before. And it's funny comparing him to this guy because, like I said earlier, we've gotten calls that the Mets need to move on from Buck Showalter. Is it possible that Tom Thibodeau is a Buck Showalter-type coach or manager? And what I mean by that is this. Buck Showalter has had success everywhere he's gone. He turned around the Yankees. He took over the Diamondbacks, and within their second year, they were in the playoffs. He made the Rangers a competent franchise. He turned around the Baltimore Orioles and made them into a playoff team. And then last year he came in, led the Mets to 101 wins. He did all of that. But what's the one thing he hasn't done? He hasn't won a World Series. In fact, Buck Showalter hasn't even played in a World Series. So there are some coaches, there are some managers that are turnaround artists. You can come in, you can change the culture, you can turn around the team, and you can make it a contending playoff team. And then there's a different skill set in some cases to make it into a championship team. And as difficult as the job has been, what Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose have done with this Knicks team, getting them to the point where they're nearly a 50-win team, 47-win team last year, second round of the playoffs, and the arrow, I think, is continuing to point upwards. It's even more difficult to go from where they are now to being a championship contending team. Because if you list the teams right now in the NBA that you think can win a championship, the Knicks are not going to be on that list. Except if you're Bobby Marks. And that's why I had Bobby Marks on the show last month when the NBA schedule came out and all of the NBA experts were asked to make their prediction on what they think the NBA Finals will be. And ESPN's Bobby Marks said the Phoenix Suns against the New York Knicks. And that was the first time. That was the first time in more than 10 years that I've even seen that floated out as a possibility. So it shows you, and this isn't some Knicks fan saying that. You know, with all due respect, this isn't Omar from Brooklyn saying that the Knicks are going to go to the Finals. This is a guy who objectively covers the NBA for ESPN saying that, hey, I like what the Knicks have done. 
I think I'm going to put myself out on the limb a little bit here, and I think that they're going to go to the finals this year because of their continuity and their consistency. So the fact that they're actually like swimming in those waters somewhat now, they're still on the periphery. If you asked me, and I feel I have a pretty good handle on who the Knicks are as an organization, if you ask me right now to name the teams that I think can win the NBA championship this season, I'm not putting the Knicks on there yet. They're closer now to making that list than they have been at any point since Carmelo Anthony's best season of 2012-2013, but they're not quite there yet. But but there is a path, and are there certain things that have to happen and that could fall in place for the Knicks to get to that level? And the answer to that is yes, and we'll talk about that, plus your calls at 1-800-919-3776 as we continue. It's the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. So we're talking about the Knicks. How do you get from where they are now, which is a pretty good spot, and compared to where they've been for most of the last decade, it's a terrific spot. But the hardest thing is to go from where they are right now to becoming a championship contender. And they're close. They're very close. And they might actually be closer than you think. And I was thinking back to teams, and I think it was Jose from Brooklyn who made the comparison to the Toronto Raptors last decade, which I think is a really good comparison because the Raptors got good around 2013, 2014, and they became a perennial playoff team, but they kept losing early. They got a little bit better every year. For the most part, they couldn't get past LeBron James and the Cavaliers, including one year where they were the number one seed and... I believe they were swept out of the playoffs by LeBron and the Cavaliers. But they could never get over that hump, and it just felt like that was going to be their destiny. They were going to be a perennial playoff team, but never quite get past that. And then, of course, they saw the opportunity in 2018. Kawhi Leonard was disgruntled in San Antonio. This was before the market was set for what it takes to acquire a superstar in the NBA because they had to give up very little capital to San Antonio to acquire Kawhi Leonard. You know, the market for that really changed the following year with the Anthony Davis trade, where the Pelicans, in exchange for Davis, received Josh Hart was part of that deal, Lonzo Ball was part of that deal, Brandon Ingram was part of that deal, plus I think it was three or four first-round draft picks, and that really changed everything. The Kawhi Leonard trade from San Antonio to Toronto in 2018 was done before the entire market had shifted. But Toronto had put themselves in position where they were one move away. And like I've always said, if you're one move away and you make that move, it's got to be the right guy. And Kawhi Leonard was the right guy. All the stars aligned. He was there for one season. He was as good as he could be. And they won the NBA championship. The period of time in the NBA, the early 1990s, this is before a couple of rounds of expansion, that was probably the most competitive time in the NBA, where there was like so much depth and talent spread out throughout the NBA. And watching this FIBA World Cup game right now, where the U.S. is having its lunch handed to it by Lithuania, um, it reminds me of that summer of 1992, those who are old enough to remember the dream team in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And that was really the height of, I think, the NBA's most 
talented period in its history. And and Knicks fans remember this well because the Knicks were terrific during that stretch, but so were obviously the Bulls with Michael Jordan, so were the Trailblazers, so were the Supersonics, so were the Jazz, so were the Rockets, so were the Pacers, so were the Orlando Magic. I mean, you just had so many teams, the Spurs. But I think back to the, if we're talking about how do the Knicks get to the next level, the Utah Jazz of that era with John Stockton and Carl Malone is a pretty good example of that climb that you need to make. And, you know, feeling like you may have hit a plateau and wondering if you're ever going to take that next step. And then all of a sudden, you stand the test of time and it happens for you. Because I just mentioned all of those teams in the 90s that were in the Western Conference, especially where Utah played then and plays now. And in 91, that team goes to the second round of the playoffs. 92, they go to the conference finals, and they lose to the Trailblazers. 93, a first-round exit. 94, back in the conference finals, lose to the Rockets. 95, a first-round exit. 96, back in the conference finals, lose to the Supersonics. And I think it was after that 1995 first-round loss to the Houston Rockets when the Rockets were the sixth seed and the Jazz were the three seed. And that was the second of the Rockets' back-to-back championships. By that point, they had Clyde Drexler along with Hakeem Olajuwon. At that point, I think a lot of people felt that it wasn't going to happen for Utah. But what happened in the Western Conference back then, the Supersonics who made the finals in 96, they got old and they kind of fell off. The Rockets, after winning those back-to-back championships, got old and they fell off. The Spurs, who were in the mix, fell off a little bit. And then all of a sudden, in 1997, really the last team standing, without changing much, clearly it was a Stockton, Malone, and then Jeff Hornacek as their third best player-centric team. Without changing much, all of a sudden in 1997, the Utah Jazz found themselves in the NBA Finals. And then in 1998, they went back to the Finals. And they very well could have won a championship, except again... As the Knicks fans know, they had to run into Michael Jordan both of those years, and they lost both of those finals. Now, how does that relate to the Knicks of today? Now, for the the NBA is completely different just in terms of back then, you could keep the same core of guys together for an entire decade. That doesn't happen now. You know, the closest thing we have to that is the Boston Celtics. I mean, we have the Warriors too, but they've won, so they're not part of this conversation. They've been together for so long. If you win, you're going to keep that team together. The closest thing we have as far as keeping a core of guys together for a long time without having won a championship is the Boston Celtics. And they've now made massive changes this year. Marcus Smart, who was part of that core, is out. Chris Stapps Porzingis is in. So they're still a team, though, centered around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, For the Knicks... They haven't made any major changes, right? Last year, they made the big change, bringing Jalen Brunson in. That brought them to a new level. Julius Randle, during the regular season, continues to be an all-NBA caliber player. R.J. Barrett is a 20-point-per-game scorer. We know what the Knicks are. They're a solid second-round team that I think if they had won game one last year against the Heat at home when they had a double-digit lead in the second quarter, could have actually been a conference finals team. How do you get to that next level? Well, you just... There, there is something to be said, and there is some precedent that if you are in the mix, if you are in the conversation, if you are in that area of the standings, which the Knicks expect to be this year, then there is 
another element. It's not always about you getting better and you improving your team to take that next step. And I think this is what Bobby Marks's point was when he said that he thinks the Knicks could get to the finals this year. Sometimes if you stay relatively the same and just continue your natural improvement as a team under a good coach um, with a terrific point guard like Jalen Brunson, the other teams can come back to the pack. Now, if the Knicks were the fourth best team in the East last year, or the fifth best team, I guess. If you put ahead of them, you put ahead of them Milwaukee, you put ahead of them Boston, you put ahead of them Philadelphia, and obviously you have to put ahead of them the Miami Heat. So let's go through those four teams. Milwaukee is a team that the last two years got to the playoffs, high seed in the Eastern Conference. Last year they were the number one seed, but both of those years their playoff runs were derailed by injuries. Two years ago it was to Chris Middleton, and last year it was to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And they lost in the first round last year, as we know, to the Miami Heat. They have elected this year to bring back Middleton, bring back Brooke Lopez. Obviously, Giannis is there, and he has now put the organization on notice that he needs to see the same level of commitment to a championship from them that he has. Otherwise, he might want to get out next year. And you bring back Drew Holiday. But that entire core, champions in 2021, this is going to be three years removed from that. Brooke Lopez is aging. Chris Middleton is aging, Drew Holiday is aging, and those all three of those players, especially recently, have injury history. And Giannis isn't exactly an 82-game-a-season kind of guy either. So if it's happened the last two years, it can certainly happen again where a key injury in the playoffs derails their season. The 76ers right now are a mess. We don't know if James Harden is going to report to training camp. If he doesn't, how is Joel Embiid going to react to that? For now, I'll put the 76ers ahead of the Knicks because they were ahead of them last year. James Harden is still technically on their roster, and they have the reigning league MVP. But their situation is probably the most tenuous among all the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Can you see them taking a big step back? Absolutely. The Celtics, they just traded away... Really, the guy considered their heart and soul for the last decade, who has played in a lot of big games. Recent Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart. And they're putting all of their eggs in the basket of Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Or not all of them, but a lot of them. I mean, Knicks fans, do I need to say more about how tricky a situation that is? You're a championship-caliber team, as the Boston Celtics are, and you're relying heavily on Chris Stapp's Porzingis, a guy who's never performed in a big game in his entire career? Good luck. And then that brings to the Miami Heat. Now, the Knicks were better than the Heat last year until they met in the playoffs. When the Heat were tougher, they were better coached because they have probably the best coach in the NBA. But that Heat team, now you have to look at them one of two ways. For now, let's look at them without Damian Lillard because Damian Lillard is not currently a member of the Miami Heat. What did they do from last year? They lost their starting backcourt. Max Struess, gone, signed elsewhere. Gabe Vincent, gone, signed elsewhere. They do get Tyler Hero back. They're tough. They have Jimmy Butler, but he's not getting any younger, but he's probably the toughest dude in the NBA. Bam Adebayo is a force in the middle. Miami's a dangerous team. But over the course of 82 games last year, the Knicks were better than that Heat team. They were. They lost in the playoffs. Julius Randle was banged up. Jalen Brunson was banged up. I know Miami was playing without Tyler Hero, okay? The main reason they lost in that series was that Miami was tougher and they were better coached. The Knicks are not far away from the Miami Heat. Now, if Miami is able to get Damian Lillard, and if they do, I would assume that they keep Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Well, then that's different. That changes the conversation. Then that Heat team, with Eric Spolster coaching it, 
would vault to the top of the Eastern Conference in my eyes. But here's the thing. The Knicks are in the arena, okay? The Bucks, they've got to catch them. Last two years, Bucks season derailed by a key injury. The 76ers are on the verge of imploding because James Harden is not happy. The Heat are a team that the Knicks are at worst as good as, if not a little bit better than them, because the Heat lost a lot and the Knicks have not changed much. And then you have the Boston Celtics, and they're the class of the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, right now. But they are relying, again, heavily on Chris Stapp's Porzingis. And I don't, again, need to explain to Knicks fans in this town how dicey a situation that is. It's happened before. You put yourself in the conversation. You put yourself in the arena. And a break here, a break there. And all of a sudden, you're in the conference finals. And all of a sudden, you're playing to get into the NBA Finals. And that's where the Knicks are right now, even without making that one big move, because it doesn't look like that one big move is on its way. So it's going to be really interesting. What do you have to look forward to for the Knicks season? You have that to look forward to. Okay? See if they can take that next step by their consistency and other teams coming back to the pack. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe, Labor Day, Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, back here on 98.7 ESPN New York on this Sunday morning. Celebrate the return of football with Barton Hahn and 98.7 ESPN Live from Margaritaville in Times Square on Thursday, September 7th, as the NFL season kicks off. The guys will be broadcasting live from noon to 3 and will be joined by former Giants wide receiver Amani Toomer. They'll have football-themed merch and an opportunity to win Jets tickets to the home opener. That'll be next Monday. It's Barton Hahn's Back to Football event taking place Thursday, September 7th from Margaritaville in Times Square and head to Margaritaville all football season and enjoy $20 beer buckets and $6 margaritas plus $3 off any appetizer during NFL or college games. College football season week one yesterday. Really a couple of interesting things coming out of that. It continues tonight. A big game against LSU and Florida State. I'll have some thoughts on that uh, in a couple of minutes. As I said at the beginning of the show, this will be our last Sunday without NFL football. This time next week, you know, we'll be all in the middle of our pregame coverage, leading you up into kickoff of those 1 o'clock games. Of course, no Jets football on the station next Sunday because they open on Monday night against the Buffalo Bills, as we know. But we'll be getting you set for that. We'll be getting you set for the Giants game next Sunday night. You know, and a good question that I've been asking myself, curious your thoughts, one 800 which team, Giants or Jets, with all the expectations that are out there, which team needs to win week one more? Now, they're both in very similar spots, both against the division rival that they've been chasing in the standings for the last couple of years. Both teams are at home. Both teams are playing on the national TV game in prime time. Giants on Sunday against the Cowboys, Jets on Monday against the Bills. So which team, if it loses, is there going to be more trepidation or, dare I say, panic surrounding that team? It's an interesting question. And it also really sets up an exciting season from the standpoint that it has been very, very rare that the Jets and the Giants have both been good or expected to be good in the same season. And during that season they had each other on their schedule. So we kind of have all the makings of a little Jets-Giants rivalry this year. And you saw a little bit of that in the most recent episode of Hard Knocks with 
Aaron Rodgers and Jihad Ward, the Giants defensive lineman, exchanging words. Rodgers telling Ward he doesn't know who he is. Ward telling Rodgers he doesn't know who he is. So a little feistiness there. You also heard Aaron Rodgers on that Hard Knocks episode called the stadium that they share, Jet Life Stadium. So, look, just putting Rodgers in the middle of all this as such an intriguing figure to begin with kind of stirs the pot a little bit. And the fact that they will be playing each other in the middle of the season, I think it's week eight they meet in late October. It'll be a Giants home game. It just adds, yeah, October 29th, week eight, Giants against the Jets. It's gotten a little spicy. And Giants general manager Joe Shane addressed the media this week ahead of the season, his second season in charge. And he spoke about sharing a city with the New York Jets. They were here last year. We're just focused on us. I mean, that's all we can do. That we got control. We can control, and you know, it's us coming in here every day to work and trying to get better as a team. And if we control our business and take care of our business, you know, hopefully we'll see positive results. But um, I respect those guys over there. But you know, we're just going to focus on what we can control. The Jets were there last year for sure, but they were not as big a factor because by December they were not part of the playoff equation and because they were not on the Giants' schedule and vice versa. So this year you can be sure that they're paying more attention to each other. The greatest example of the Giants and Jets playing each other while both teams were good is the Christmas Eve game, the Victor Cruz game in 2011. And that really did... That play, that 199-yard play, Victor Cruz taking the pass up the right sideline to the end zone, changed not only that game, but changed the Jets franchise, dare I say, for the next 12 years. I mean, have the Jets, and the hope is that they will this year, that led to a downward spiral that knocked the Jets, who were 8-6 and six at the start of that game, knocked the Jets out of the playoffs. It would have been their third straight trip to the playoffs, and with their track record those first two years of winning on the road and getting to the AFC Championship game back-to-back years, you would think that they would have been a dangerous team in the playoffs that year. They lost that game. They go to 8-7. and seven. They finished the season 8-8 eight and eight out of the playoffs, and they haven't been the same since. Their only time sniffing the playoffs was in 2015 when Ryan Fitzpatrick and Todd Bowles needed to beat Rex Ryan up in Buffalo in Week 17 and were unable to do that. So that one play really set off a downward spiral for this franchise over the last 12 years, one that they hope to finally dig out of this year with the emergence of Aaron Rodgers. But that is the greatest example of when both teams were good at the same time. And the Jets at that point, when they took the field that afternoon, the Jets had the upper hand in the city. The Giants had missed the playoffs in back-to-back years. The Jets had been to back-to-back AFC championship games. The Jets started that game 8-6. and six. The Giants started that game 7-7. Seven and seven. By the end of the game, both teams were 8-7. and seven. By the end of the regular season, the Jets were 9-7. and seven. The Jets were 8-8. Eight and eight. And by the end of that season, the Giants had won the Super Bowl. It was an incredible turn of events that really did start with that 99-yard touchdown pass to Victor Cruz. So here they are again. They're both expected to be good. We have to wait to see if they both are actually good because I'm sure there's been other times through history when they were expected to be good and things didn't pan out that way. But if they're not both good and that's not a really important game in Week 8 on the 29th at MetLife Stadium, the 29th of October, I think it's going to be a huge disappointment to at least one, if not both fan bases, if that's just another ho-hum game because they've played twice since that Victor Cruz game. They played in 2015. The Jets were good. The Giants were bad. And then they played in 2019 when they were both terrible. And I, I dare you, call me and tell me a detail about either one of those games. I remember the 2015 game going to overtime and the Jets winning. 
it didn't really mean uh, it meant nothing for the Giants. The Jets were lucky to scrape by, and that was part of their last really good season. But call me and tell me a detail about the 2019 game. I swear to God, I don't remember anything because it didn't matter. And that's that's where that rivalry has been. So hopefully a lot more spice added to that rivalry this year with both teams expected to be good. We'll talk Giants at the top of the hour with Patty Trena of SI.com. And we'll continue with your phone calls as well at 1-800-919-3776. The Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. In the- You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Golf Zone Social is an indoor golf simulator with 22 hitting bays in a family-friendly sports bar environment. It's the perfect place to tee it up for birthday parties, team-building events, and friendly get-togethers. Keep it locked into ESPN New York for your chance to score a $100 Golf Zone Social Hitting Bay reservation credit coming up later in today's show. It is all thanks to Golf Zone Social, the most social experience in golf. Cheers to food. Cheers to golf. Cheers to fun. This World Cup game between the United States and Lithuania is getting very interesting. So I mentioned earlier the U.S. was having its lunch handed to it by the Lithuanians. They were down by as many as 21 points. At halftime, it was 54-37. to The U.S. started the third quarter on a 7-0 run, and now it's 66-59 to with about two minutes to go in the third quarter. Lithuania, after they hit another free throw here, has an eight-point lead over the United States. So the U.S. hasn't lost yet in this tournament. A loss here would not be damaging. Uh, They still, I believe, are already assured a spot in the quarterfinals. This is the final game of group play. But it's funny, all of the the Knicks, the Villanova, and really the New York basketball influence in this game. Because in the starting five, as I mentioned earlier, for the U.S., you have Brunson and Hart, along with Mikhail Bridges. So the three Villanova guys there. And for Lithuania, which is headlined by Jonas Valanciunas, he's the most established NBA player on that team, you have... Uh, Rokas Jakobaitis, who in 2021 was a second-round draft pick of the Knicks. You have Ignas Brasdakis, who in 2019 was a second-round pick of the Knicks and played a couple of seasons for them. And you also have, if you go back to the Phil Jackson days, Knicks fans will remember this game, uh, this name, uh, Mindaugas Kuzminskis, who spent some time off the bench. So uh, a heavy Knicks influence in this game. That is now a four-point game, the U.S. trailing late in the third quarter. But it also just it's another reminder. I know this game isn't important in terms of uh, ultimately trying to win the FIBA World Cup, which is obviously the ultimate goal. But again, it's just another example of how it is no longer a foregone conclusion that the U.S. rolls out the basketballs and they win in international competition. And that has not been the case for almost 20 years now, because there was a period of time starting with the Dream Team in 1992. From 92 to about 2000, it was a foregone conclusion. And starting with that Dream Team, when the sport became more popular overseas, the rest of the world has continued to close the gap on the United States. Now, the U.S. still has the best team. They're still the reigning, uh, I think, three times in a row Olympic gold medalists, but it is no longer roll the balls out and... USA is going to win. And just look at the recent MVPs. I mean, you got to go back to 2018 when James Harden was the NBA's most valuable player. 2018. That was the last time an American-born player was the MVP of the NBA. 
All right, we're going to talk some Giants football with Patty Train to get you set for week one right after the break on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.